Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of the About Review Podcast. I'm your host, that guy named John. This podcast, we cover all things movie-related, TV-related, geek-related, film festivals, all sorts of things. You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Blueberry and Stitcher and Podbay and everywhere else. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about three new movies that are in theaters now. Dunkirk by Christopher Nolan, Girls Trip by Malcolm D. Lee, and Valerian by Luke Besson. And on this episode, I am joined by the one and only Dr. Andy. Hello. Uh, so, Andy, I have something to, to say to you. It is very important to me, and I feel like we should talk about this on air. Uh, the thing I have to say is, Chanson du thème, which means theme song in French. <laughs> Uh, so, the reason that I did that in good old Francais, or, f yeah, yeah, Francais would be the language, yeah, France yeah. would be the place, France would be the place, yeah, is because two out of the three movies we're going to be talking about have to do with France, kind of. Is Dunkirk in France? I still <laughs> do not know where Dunkirk Dun is. Dunkirk is in France, yeah. Okay. I, okay, what I needed with Dunkirk, before we get into the actual movie, I needed the Indiana Jones, like... Uh, little dot with the plane going over the map mm -hmm. so I actually knew geographically where this took place because I'm a dumb American comparatively to a lot of the European listeners fans no, you could you don't need to you whatever don't need to qualify. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> so I it, it showed Dunkirk on a map a couple times but it did yeah I wanted to zoom out so I could actually know well, where you, it was you didn't need to because it showed you on the map on the it showed in the film it showed three cities on the map Dunkirk, mm. and then two other ones that I mm -hmm. do not remember. Mm. Anyway, so Dunkirk will be the first film that we talk about. Uh, since obviously I have already displayed my... Wisdom. Wisdom, mm. yeah. Mm. Uh, about Dunkirk and lack of knowledge when it comes to this, no, this specific thing. Andy. Yeah. You were alive back then, so <laughs> tell me all about... Dunkirk, the actual historical thing. Okay, so have you heard of this thing called the Second World War? Second, 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 World, second World War. Yes, okay. So okay. World so War II. Yes. Yeah, okay, you've heard of it. Okay, so the, the basic premise um, for this movie, mm -hmm. or the, you know, the historical surrounding, um, was... Okay, so war starts in <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in nineteen thirty nine. In nineteen and thirty nine, <laughs> a war started. Uh, basically, uh, 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 Germany invades uh, Poland, and uh, the British and French declare war on Germany. Mm -hmm. um, Germany doesn't take uh, too kindly to this. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shockingly enough, because um, there was this. Uh, little Austrian named Adolf Hitler in charge at that mm. time. Mm -hmm. He was an art school guy, right? He was a, he was a painter. Mm. And more of a house painter than a, a, a portrait painter. Interesting. Yeah. He liked um, the color red. <laughs> yeah. I thought, yeah. right? Well, I was thinking of the flag, not, not when blood. it comes to the not when it comes to the the Soviets. He didn't like the red of the Ooh, Soviets. Ooh, good point. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so <clears throat> for a while 
there was this thing called the phony war going on. And that was a period mm -hmm. of time when there was relatively little actual fighting going on because everybody was kind of like revving up to decide what exactly they were going to do and where they were going to fight. So the British sent over this thing called the British Expeditionary Force, um, a certain number of soldiers, you know, the ones who they thought they could spare, maybe. Spare as in these were expendable soldiers no, or no 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 well i mean sort of i mean sort of i think everybody had an eye on the idea of well we don't want to leave britain completely undefended but we also want to be able to support our allies uh the french uh mm -hmm. to to uh sort of like staunch any attempt at invasion that we are expecting the germans to do okay one of the uh, one of the problems uh for britain um was that they didn't have much of an army I mean, Britain has mm. never been sort of like an, uh, a land-based military. <laughs> Huge focus on the Navy, very mm -hmm. proud of their Navy. The Navy is super, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> not so much, I mean, sort of the standing army sort of like <clears throat> fluctuated. It, you know, there was more during when they were needed and they then they cut really back. And I think there was, a, you know, amongst the military, there was a, a general expect or sort of like amongst the government that maybe they could uh, stave off having to do anything too terrible. Oh, there's a bunch of history, hmm. you know, prior to that about Munich paper and, and invasion. Of I have no idea Czech what Republic. any of those were. <laughs> Sorry, Czechoslovakia at the time. Yep. Oh, we can we can ignore all that. Anyway, so back to the phony war. Mm -hmm. So the Brit Brits uh, send over uh, uh, an army, let's say 400, 500,000 uh, right. soldiers, which is, I mean, is, is appreciable, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting there for a while, you know, twiddling thumbs, uh, playing tiddlywinks, uh, mm -hmm. lawn bowls, possibly. This is pre-Candy Crush. Pre-Candy so, Crush. So okay. they had to do something with their thumbs. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then, uh, lo and behold, uh, the Germans actually do invade uh, and and very cleverly avoid most of the French fortifications and and mm. and dump all over Belgium. Uh, everybody always dumps all over Belgium. Uh, I'm not going to say whether that's <laughs> right or wrong. Um, but they do. Mm -hmm. uh, they go through um, primarily through Belgium and uh, they totally mess up the whole French uh, idea of defense. Uh, what everybody also, well, I'm going to say, remember, needs to remember, but maybe they don't remember. Yeah. Uh, the uh, First World I, War. I know nothing about it. So. Okay. okay. First World War, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, there was, there, I mean, people think that it was completely static, but it, I mean, it started off as a fairly mobile war and then bogged down into a much more static situation, trenches, all that kind of stuff. That's gotcha. where you think about the slaughter and the gas, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Germans, smart people that they were at the time, maybe, I mean, I'm sure they are still smart. <laughs> uh, Sorry, <apo> Angela Merkel. <laughs> like, sure apologies to our German listeners. <laughs> um, they decided, hey, uh, Blitzkrieg, let's let's really move fast and, and strike and, and uh, push through and, you know, do as much damage and not to worry too much about, you know, where we've punched through, but just like keep going, going, going. And that's what basically what happened and sort of like the slow-witted uh, British and French <laughs> armies, military, right. uh, got uh, caught essentially slack-footed and they 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 were not capable of responding to this this um, extremely strong invasion because it and was not what they were expecting or used to at the time. They just they they were unprepared for something gotcha. like that and probably ill-equipped to prepare. 
uh, I mean, you know, to, to fight back in that in that kind of situation. So anyway, so the Brits and the French, um, uh, you know, I mean, the French fell back on all fronts, <laughs> essentially. Right. The Brits and the French <laughs> fell, uh, and a part of the French army fell back uh, towards the coastline, where which is where they had essentially the British had been set up. Coastline of the coastline of France, 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 right? France, yep. France, as they say in France, um, and. Um, and started, you know, it's like falling back towards this area around Calais and Dunkirk, uh, essentially, um, which is in the north, uh, north east, northeast of France. And okay. uh, so, what do you do in a situation where you have four hundred thousand British and I don't remember exactly how many French? Well, you either allow them to be slaughtered uh, because mm-hmm. the Germans had lots of good stuff um, militarily. Or you surrender, uh, which would not be very good either, because that means that you are leaving, uh, you know, making, I'm not going to say defenseless, but mm-hmm. this is 400,000, 500,000 soldiers is a lot of soldiers yeah. to Britain. I mean, it's a small island nation. Or somehow you get them out of France and back to Britain. Uh, this is a logistical nightmare because mm-hmm. <laughs> when you are not expecting to move 400 500,000 people from one country over a tempestuous uh channel to another country with uh aircraft Bombers. constantly attacking you um yeah that takes a lot of preparation um, and even i mean even if you were expecting this even if this was something when they were like okay in a month we need to go get these 400,000 soldiers off the beach. Still be a gigantic piece yeah. of work. But when you've got a, f- a matter of a few weeks, if, if less than a few weeks um, to do this. Yeah, monumental, monumental uh, uh, event, essentially. And, okay. and it's, it's also, I mean, it's monumental just the, the logistically, but it's also... Uh, and I'm, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. I mean, <laughs> so, okay, you cannot. Here's the Spoil thing. Spoil history. Be, before we go into the movie, uh, we do try and avoid movie spoilers in all in all movies because I, I really just do not like when podcasts, you know, when something just comes out and they just spoil it. This is history. Anybody who goes to watch this movie can. They got most of them back. <laughs> yeah, they, they can look up what happened to Dunkirk. And it will not spoil the movie. It, this is history. So, you know, just keeping that in mind as we talk about this film and the actual historical event. But the actual history, they they got most of them out. Like, this was still war. Right. There were still casualties. Yeah. So, yeah. So, logistically, uh, an incredible feat at the, of the time, even now. Mm-hmm. Um, but also incredibly important because that without those 400,000 soldiers... Um, Germany could well have uh, made a, a, a better attempt at invading Britain and the war would have been lost already at mm-hmm. that point in time. Before, somebody made a call to a fantastic country that came in and the, saved the, the day. Soviet Union? The other one. Uh, oh, United <laughs> States, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda. I mean, the Soviet Union was already, already kind of involved, but they were kind of involved on the side of Germany. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as as you can tell, dear listeners, this is a part of history that I truly did not know anything about. When, when I think my generation, the generation born after Andy, so after 1867, <laughs> uh, the, when we think of World War II, we think of the big things. We think of 
you know, the invasions of, of Poland. We think of the things that we studied in class. If there was a classroom in America that studied what happened at Dunkirk, kudos. Like, th that is amazing. I had never really heard of this. And I think... You hear about D-Day, but you don't really it, yeah, think about you, the you, opposite of D-Day, which is what yeah. Dunkirk was. Yeah, the beaches of... <laughs> yeah. You think of, yeah, the beaches of Normandy, of when the Americans were like, here we are, and they stormed the beaches. Yeah, and yeah, you bring, you bring up a very valid point where this is the exact opposite. This is, hey, here we are, please come get us. Yeah, I, I should so, point out that there were a few Canadians and, and British also um, involved in D-Day. In D-Day, yeah. Well, and maybe some other countries too. A couple. French. But the main one, USA, USA. Um, okay, on to the film. <laughs> um, okay, so I had to, I'm looking at right now Google Maps to truly give me an idea of where Dunkirk is. Because, I, again, somebody who does not really know about it, this film, <laughs> this film did not really, I, I need that. I'm a visual learner. I needed that pushback or that push out of the map to give me an idea. So I'm looking at the map. It is very, very much in the, I mean, the northern coast of France, right next to Belgium. Tell me, Andy, between <laughs> Dunkirk and England, is at this point of, the, of where they where they are close, mm -hmm. twenty miles, fifty miles, like twenty six miles, twenty six miles, and I that plays really, really well into the film, where a couple of the characters are standing at, on the beaches of Dunkirk, being like. It's it's right there. They're saying in character, like, it's right there. Like, we can almost see home. So, yeah. So, visually, uh, I would encourage people who do not know much about this part of history, just pull up a map and actually get an idea of the geography of this. I think it will help people watching this film. Mm -hmm. So, on to the film itself. So, this is directed by, I have said it before, one of the greatest filmmakers of this generation, which is Christopher Nolan. I did a whole episode on him. Uh, episode 21, I did a director spotlight uh, with me and the Curly Nerd uh, podcast. So Jess and Damien joined me for that one. And we talked about all of his films. Uh, obviously, this was before Dunkirk came up, but we talked about Dunkirk a little bit because they had just released a trailer. This was last year. Christopher Nolan is a phenomenal director. And if you listened to last week, you could hear that I was not super excited about this film only because it has to do with 20th century warfare. And I just do not like war movies that much in general, let alone 20th century. It, just, it, it is too real when you can. If you were to go to London right now or parts of England, ask around, there are still people alive who remember Dunkirk, who might have been on that beach it just it feel it it is too close too too real hmm. but that being said uh one of the other podcasts that i used to listen to Ricky Gervais podcast he talked about how in england you still have you know the old guys who still wear suit and tie and like those are just like the old soldiers so respect to them i appreciate everybody who has ever sacrificed themselves in these times but watching a film about it i yeah not a big fan of uh that being said, this film will get compared to another <laughs> World War II epic, again, about the complete opposite beach, mm -hmm. Saving Private Ryan. I think when people are thinking of an analog to this film, that will be where they go. Mm -hmm. 
I liked this film so much better than Saving Private Ryan because of the way that Christopher Nolan shot this movie, the way he filmed this movie, mainly having to do with the graphics or not the graphics, the graphic nature of violence and Saving Private Ryan. I get it. It is a different battle before I get people being like, blah, blah, whatever. I get it. In Saving Private Ryan within that first 10 minutes when you have somebody literally trying to put their insides back inside of them while laying on a beach that where they just got blown up. It, that is why I do not like these war movies. It just it is too real. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan was able to show war in a way where it was compelling and intriguing without that type of graphic visuals. And with Christopher Nolan's inimitable style, mm-hmm. it, it you you couldn't have a completely simple linear story. <laughs> no, it was Christopher Nolan. Nope, not going <laughs> to happen. That wasn't going to happen. I, I was interested to find out exactly how he was going to turn time backwards or inside out or something. Um, and he uses a, an interesting um, mechanism to, to break up time a little bit, um, which took a little bit of getting used to. It did. And I, and I think the same with a lot of Christopher Nolan features, you have to go into it expecting that and you have to go into it just you have just let it happen <laughs> just be a part of the experience let it happen uh they just recently announced the 13th doctor of doctor who jody whittaker Whit- whittaker i believe whittaker, yeah uh christopher nolan is the real life doctor who he is a master of time and space some people would look at other directors and be like, ah, kind of a one-trick pony. They just do this. This is kind of Christopher Nolan's thing. He likes to mess with time and space, but it works. He does it in such a way where it takes you almost to the end of the first act of this film to be like, oh, <laughs> and to start, start piecing things together. And that is just super impressive. Uh, how he's able to do that in multiple films and it is still fresh and still new every time so and it, what did you think of the different layers i will say of this story um i would say that there are there are two truly compelling elements to the story there's the soldiers on the beach mm-hmm and then there's the um, the, the the little boats, mm-hmm. the, the uh, civilian fleet, civilian fleet that's coming over to save them. There is a third story, which I thought was, I mean, I'm I'm sure historically was just as important, but was less compelling for me. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, sort of the, the the beach is definitely, you know, that's, I mean, I mean, he was trying to trying to style to to suggest that each had their own hardships in their own particular way. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> and, you know, personally, yeah, that would be the case. But at the same time, you have to think that being on the beach for, you know, a, a week mm-hmm. would be somewhat more stressful than perhaps being on the boat for a day, let's say. Yeah, and and I, I can agree with that. So the, the, three, the three layers uh, of this film... Um, yeah, are basically the, the civilians on the beach, 
the civil or the civilians the soldiers on the beach <laughs> that would what be weird civilians doing on the beach? <laughs> that would be a weird twist and the soldiers the soldier fleet had to come and save them uh the so the soldiers on the beach the civilian fleet that was not commandeered uh was requisitioned requisitioned to pick up these soldiers on the beach and then the third piece is in the air the royal uh, air force yeah the, the royal air force with tom hardy so you have kind of that land sea and air theme which ties into a very crucial speech that i did know about <laughs> thank you american history lessons um where it this film and again this is not spoiling anything this film kind of ends with that famous speech we shall hide them on the beaches yeah. that one uh, which one, Andy? In your in your best well, before be prepared. In your best okay. Churchill performance, go. We should fight them on the beaches. <laughs> wow. That was pretty terrible, wasn't it? Okay, that would be like me doing my best Churchill impression. <laughs> Sheesh. Um, but yeah, yeah, so it it so it ends, you know, with that kind of that that speech. So it was land, sea, air, and how those three layers interacted with each other and i do kind of agree that the third one the air with the royal air force it was interesting but it was not as emotional it was not as compelling as the other two because the other ones like they really pulled at those strings there were multiple points where you were concerned Mm -hmm. about what was happening to these characters in the air it mainly is just you know, two soldiers in a dogfight in one scene and going after bombers in a couple other ones. And that was kind of it. Uh, I mean, I, not to give anything else away, but yeah. the premise, that was kind of it. So uh, one thing I thought was was uh, interesting I, and I thought was good was that uh, Nolan um, picks a variety of uh, name actors, mm-hmm. Tom Hardy, uh, Killian Murphy, Mark Rylance, and uh, Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. Um, but his uh, main characters, uh, at least in, in the folks on the beach, are essentially uh, unknowns. Yeah. Um, Fionn Whitehead, Damien Bonnard, uh, a couple of others. Um, yeah, uh, you, you probably wouldn't have seen them in any other films or anything. You might have seen yeah. Harry Styles, however, right. in One Direction. <laughs> Which, to me, like, so I, I only knew that after the movie when people were like oh harry styles was good in that and i was like who is harry styles like i knew the i knew of the band one direction Mm -hmm. you if you had paid me million dollars to be like name one of the members of one direction never gonna happen now you can do it now i can harry styles and i was if if nobody had told me if i had not heard that he was part of one direction that he was just a young up-and-coming actor sold like I was, I was definitely impressed, especially in the context of he was in a British boy band and then did a movie like this as your first, as far as I know, mm-hmm. his first kind of big thing that took some, some guts to do. <laughs> um, One of the things that I really appreciated is how immersive this film was and not to the point of. It, not to the point where it was too much, but they filmed on location in a lot of these places. So, like, it really, the way he shot it, there were a lot of congested scenes that were very claustrophobic. And you feel that. Uh, this is something where I know that locally at Pacific Science Center, 
they're showing this in 70 millimeter IMAX. Mm-hmm. I am not sure if I could handle this in 70 millimeter IMAX. <laughs> See, I, I think I would have liked to have seen it in that form. Really? I think that's where it would have uh, really, really shined, especially yeah. sort of the you know the sea the gigantic seascapes and True. the gigantic airscapes and sort of like swooping down across the beach and seeing i mean i don't know if it was cgi'd or they had a cast of thousands but there was a lot of uh, folks on the beach mm-hmm. and you sort of like i mean you could see the thousands and thousands and thousands of these of these folks yeah um <clears throat> i guess i guess the reason i say that is i i can appreciate it for that for that beauty but as i already said just kind of how i view these movies as just World War II movies, I think it would have been almost too intense. <laughs> well, I, even I even where it. we saw it, it was in uh, a couple of times uh, with airplanes. It was incredibly loud. It was very loud. I, there were I, a couple of people sitting next to yeah, us. Put that, their fingers in their ears. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. So, so and, one thing though that I I mean, sort of, I know you're saying that it was claustrophobic and thing and, and stuff, but um, one thing I would say in comparison to Saving Private Ryan is that you didn't. I mean, it, it still felt to me like you were an observer looking in uh, as opposed to being actually immersed with the other. You know, mm. It's like you're a, a, par- a third party or an, sorry, yes. like a, a, an actual soldier yep. getting off the landing craft and things like that. So that's one area where I thought um, Save it Pri- Saving Private Ryan really outshone Dunkirk was that mm. that that totally immersive first person the, the visceral kind of thing. it was it was i mean yeah i don't think i don't think there's any war movie that that even slightly compares to the first 15 minutes or how long it is of saving private ryan it, it would take a lot yeah. to come close to something like that and dunkirk does not do that like you said i mean mm-hmm. i don't think it ever really intends to it right. does take a slightly more third person mm-hmm. perspective which to me I, I really liked that. To me, that is not a negative at all. That is just how, how I was viewing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, going back to the cast, what I thought was interesting is when you look at the three main people in each uh, layer, Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> who is immediately recognizable and has done a million things, which we will not list. Mark Rylance, who has done a lot of things. A lot of people before last year's Oscars, no, two years ago, at Oscars two years ago, and he won for Bridge of Spies. A lot of people were like, who is this guy just coming up here? He has been around a long time. Long time, yeah. Uh, And then you have Tom Hardy. It was interesting that I can understand kind of why Christopher Nolan would need a major face and a major uh, actor in each of those three layers. But it was also nice to kind of get away from those actors to focus on the unknowns and to yeah. focus more on their story. But I, so yeah, it, there are three major actors in each of the lines that may or may not intersect at, at some point. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the location was incredible. One thing that was interesting, how many, if I, were, if I were to ask you, not if I were to ask you, I'm about to ask you, prepare yourself. Mm. How many women were in this movie? How many women were in this mm-hmm. movie? Total. Are you talking about like the people who did the catering and things like that? You... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so in the film itself, take a guess. I, I, I'm trying to. Th- I'm. I'm struggling to remember seeing any women at all in this movie. 
So I, honestly, I can't remember seeing a single I one. I seriously had to think about it. There were two, mm-hmm. and they were both on a ship. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. One there, was there was some yeah handing out some toast Tea, with jam toast, on it. Toast or and jam. Yeah. Is that a thing? Just toast and jam. Sure. Okay. Probably some butter too. Here in America, just peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Anyway, so there were two. But what I found really interesting about that, the only movie that I could think of that had made such a, I don't want to say bold choice, that made a choice like that, was a Russell Crowe movie from quite a few years ago called Master and Commander, which had one woman in it the entire movie, and it was terrible. It was just, it, the movie Master and Commander was You just, didn't like it? No. I loved Lump Master and Commander. But did you say Lump Master and Commander? Loved. Oh. Loved. Like, like his lump master and commander different thing so master and commander i just was not a fan of that movie with this i'll talk about it some other time and yeah and i but with master and commander i noticed right away like halfway through i was like why are like what is happening why are there no women i get it It was on a boat whatever uh but with this one it was only until after the film that i started thinking about it because it was done in such a seamless way and you think about I had to also remind myself when and where this movie took place. There were not female soldiers on the beaches of Dunkirk. There were not female pilots. So, I mean, it made sense with the historical context, but it was something where I really had to think back, like, if there were any women. So, they were there. They were, like, one of them was wearing, not a nurse smock, but it had something on it like that and Mm -hmm. handing out life jackets. And that was it. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I just thought that was interesting, and it was interesting that I did not notice it until I started thinking about it at the end. Mm. Okay. Uh, and that speaks to me. That speaks to the immersiveness of this film. You can watch it behind the scenes, and maybe I will link it. Um, I will put put it in the show notes. When they were filming this at sea, they were actually flying Spitfires twenty feet above the boats to get that real visceral reaction from the cast and crew. <laughs> That is awesome. Like that dedication to filmmaking is incredible. Hmm. One thing uh, in, I I was, I didn't have time uh, to look up entirely, but I'd like to know the historical uh, veracity of something like this. Okay. So I did look up the top British air ace of Mm. the second world war who um, got 38 confirmed kills. Now, the British... Snoopy, right? Snoopy. In the red, in the, against the Red Baron? <laughs> that was the First World War. Mm. Um, now, the the British uh, tend to count things slightly differently. You only get... I mean, if if you shot some bullets in the plane and somebody else shot some bullet, bullets in the plane, then you get like a half a kill, for instance. So, so you get an assist. <laughs> you get an assist. So that 38... I mean, so that, that air ace could have maybe shot up like 50 60 maybe tops tom hardy Mm -hmm. in this movie shot down at least five airplanes maybe six i i'm i'm trying to work i'm i was trying to think i'm trying to think of the timeline of how they intersect but yeah yeah but he i mean he certainly shot down five possibly six in essentially one hour (laughs) yeah now okay he get he he that's uh, well, no, I'm not going to put that spoiler in, but but I mean, uh, this that was that was one thing that kind of like took me out of things. I was thinking, hang on, I don't think they they got to shoot down quite so many German mm-hmm. planes 
you know, I mean, if it was a bunch of bombers, then yeah, sure, you could you could shoot down five or six fairly easily. But I mean, most of them yeah. were fighters that mm -hmm. he was engaging with, and the, I mean, the, the German fighters, you know, they they maybe weren't as good as the Spitfires in you know, but you know, they they were uh, uh, ME one hundred nines, and these were fairly decent pilots. It just seems like uh, really, really, did you have to have that many, yeah. sh you know, shot down in one day? So that was one thing that slightly took me out of things. And, and that makes total sense. My my conflict with 20th century war movies, and Andy and I talked about this uh, after the film, I do not really like war movies, but I love movies that have to do with air combat. Even the terrible movies that came out in like the 80s and 90s. Like Top Gun. Oh, no. I was just about to say, except for Top Gun. How dare you? Uh, Top Gun spawned a bunch of other ones. Uh, technically, well, one came out before. just said... Top Gun spawned because anyway. uh, I love Top Gun, but no, there were a bunch <laughs> of movie called uh, e Eagle Iron Eagle with Lou Gossett Jr. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure he made like five of those films, and it was all just air combat with jets and all of that. I remember going to air shows when I was a kid, so I loved that aspect of this, and the way they filmed it was incredible. And again, these were actual jets, like they used Spitfires. They used a bomber coming over the ships. Like the behind the scenes stuff is incredible. Just how he was able to film this in the way that he did. Hmm. Um, which leads me. I am making a prediction. Here we are. It is Sunday, July 23rd. At the 2018 or 2017 Oscars. 2018 Oscars. <laughs> how about I? Okay. Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Nolan was messing me up with the time and space. The 2018 Oscars. This film is going to be nominated for four different things. It will be nominated for Best Director, Best Screenplay, Sound Design, and Cinematography. Why not Best Movie? The Academy does love war movies. If he if if they get if there's those four that you're talking mm -hmm. about, it, it has to be a best it would, movie. Yeah, it would be a lock for a nomination for Best Picture. I'm I'm saying those four are for sh like hundred percent. It is getting nominated for those four. I could easily see um, sound. Mm -hmm. As we saw last year, not not just last year, every year, the Academy loves period war movies for sound design. Yeah. So. So I could see that. I'm not sure about screenplay, but we'll see. Okay. Cool. Uh, I think those are all of my notes for Dunkirk to the rating system, which I was going to look at what rating system is in French. Um I d oh, please tell me. <laughs> as, as as no, I, I really don't. I, d I took five years of French, and I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I never learned the word for rating. As soon as I said... System is the word for system. As soon as I uh, talked about rating system in French, Andy leaned into his <laughs> mic, and I got real excited. <laughs> anyway, the rating system for this podcast. Uh, there are three choices for rating any and everything. Oh, my God. Good, bad, or ugly. A good film can range from... It was a great film, too. It was the best film. A bad movie ranges from meh, that was okay, to eh, that was all right. That makes no sense. Uh, and then an ugly film is just avoid at all costs. You would never recommend it to a friend. You wasted two hours of your life. See, that's a very narrow band of films. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we'll see another one of those. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. So, Dr. Andy for Dunkirk. This historical movie of a time and place that you lived through mm -hmm. as a youth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What do you youth? give? 
youth. You were 70. Middle you age. missed the draft, but... Did, wait, does England have a draft? They did then. Did they? Okay. Well, that's a good question. I don't know if they'd actually started the draft then. I'm assuming okay. they did. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> getting away from English politics, even though before we started recording, Andy and I fell in a rabbit hole of listening to Gaja, Ga, Kajagugu. No, Kajagugu, yeah. Kajagugu. We didn't. You wanted to listen to them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so for Dunkirk. through them. Dunkirk. Good, bad, or ugly, go. Um, okay, so I am going to preface this with that I was really looking forward to seeing this movie. I'm mm-hmm. um, really you interested were? in the, the period. I, unlike John, really liked 20th century war movies. Saving Private Ryan was fantastic in most parts. I'm not going to go over the bits I didn't like. Uh, and I really liked uh, Christopher Nolan as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it built it up a little bit too high for me. Interesting. Um, I'm still going to give it a good... Okay. Because uh, I think people should see it. I mean, it's, again, it's an important period and it's still a good movie. Um, but it, I did not feel that it was a great movie, which kind of breaks from a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I, it's just, I, I, it, it just didn't drag me in as much as I was hoping it would. And there was a little bit too much stiff upper lip from Kenneth Branagh and I yeah. and honestly I didn't like I I'm a huge fan of Mark Rylance and I didn't feel that he put in his best work nearly or Killian Murphy I didn't think they he put in his best work in this Tom Hardy I don't think he well he didn't really have that much of an opportunity to put in his his best work I thought Fionn Whitehead and the mm. other um, unknowns did a fantastic job uh, and it's still definitely worth seeing so definitely a good okay and with me kind of the opposite. I was not really looking forward to this film, <laughs> um, except for Christopher Nolan. I, I have faith in him in no matter w- in everything he does. So I was kind of going into it with a little bit of trepidation um, to see how he would be able to do this and if it would be immersive for me. It absolutely was. It was, it was totally immersive. This is still going to be, and I talked to one of my one of my good friends who, uh, at, yeah, was in. Uh, recent engagements, I, I will say, in, in the Middle East uh, for quite a few years. And he was asking me about it. And I was like, he was a wedding planner in the Middle East. <laughs> Do I know? Any- I was trying to think if I know any of recent those no. engagements in the Middle East. Um, so he was saying he was like, yeah, it looks great. I- I'm never going to watch it. And I can understand that. I can absolutely understand this, that um, I think anybody who has been through some of this stuff, this is this is going to be a tough film. Uh, if you have if if you have an issue with films like this because it is a little bit too Although, real, I mean Christopher Nolan did show this to some of the survivors. He, really? He, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I did not know that. Um, so again, I with that in mind, uh, and me not really being super excited about it, it was engaging. The cinematography was beautiful. Everybody, like as far as the acting, yes, some people did not have as many opportunities to. <laughs> to show their full range. But I, I was engaged the entire time. I hate to use the cliche edge of my seat, but this was a movie where the entire thing from beginning to end, I was like, what is going to happen? Like it, it was just, it was fascinating to me. So I absolutely give it a good, uh, which is a surprise for me because it is a film and a genre of film that I generally am not super excited about, but it was, it was beautiful. So, I, I give it a good as well, with much less caveats hmm. than, than Dr. Andy. Interesting. Uh, 
the next film on the docket is a film that Dr. Andy did not see uh, because he just is rude. Uh, <laughs> you, you're going to try and say that I was too, I'm too white, but you can't say that, can you? No, no. I really can't, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, good call, though. I was thinking about that. Uh, so the film is Girls Trip, directed by Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, Malcolm Lee is a director who focuses on a, on a certain genre, that being really put together, really funny, uh, generally uh, black cast and crew comedies. And those have been amazing. Uh, one of my favorites that kind of gets thrown, not thrown under the rug, but kind of gets forgotten is Undercover Brother uh, with Eddie Griffin. I love Undercover Brother. I have probably watched it 50 times, uh, if not more. He also, I mean, he has, I think he directed like the fifth barbershop movie, fourth or fifth. Andy is looking at me wondering, A, what a barbershop is, and B, what a barbershop film is. Uh but yeah, so he is very, very well-known African-American Cedric the Entertainer was in it. Whoa, hey, look at you. Look at you knowing something about a movie uh, <laughs> that you have never seen <laughs> or maybe will not see. Anyway, so Malcolm Lee directed this film, uh, Girls Trip. It is about four best friends uh, with an incredible cast. So this has Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and relative newcomer, especially compared to all three of them, Tiffany Haddish. It focuses on the four of them. They grew up together, went to college together. They had this, their group was called the Flossy Posse. Uh, and they just kind of went to high school together. It, it follows their path. And then like a lot of groups of friends from either high school or college, you start to split up. You start to do your own stuff. And something brings them together where they all want to get together, you know, for the first time, and I think it was five years to go to Essence Fest in New Orleans, because Regina Hall's character is kind of on track to be the next Oprah. She is a huge media mogul uh, and is set to sign this big thing so that all four of them get back together for the first time in five years and adventures ensue from there. The four kind of uh, archetypes or the four characters that are in this, you have the media mogul, which is Regina Hall, the gossip queen, Queen Latifah, who has a kind of TMZ-esque blog, which I thought they were doing to avoid <laughs> being TMZ, but TMZ actually is mentioned in the movie, so I was like, oh, okay. Mm. They're not just doing that to be like, oh, this gossip thing, without <laughs> recognizing mm -hmm. what she is, but that was clever. Uh, then you have the kind of, <laughs> the party girl who ended up being the only mother in the group, which is Jada Pinkett Smith, who has a couple of kids, kind of dresses a little bit frumpy, uh, and then you have Tiffany Haddish, who was the party girl then, and is the party girl now. All four of them <laughs> stayed true to those archetypes throughout the movie, and they're true to the characters, and all of them were believable. Which, especially in a lower-budget Hollywood comedy, summer comedy, sometimes you do not expect that. But they all stay true to their characters, um... This is a rated R comedy, which are hard to pull off. Rated R comedies generally do not do very well at the box office. They, it is, it is just tough because you are immediately isolating a large part of the movie-going audience who goes to movies in the summertime, those being younger people. So this is a not only rated R movie, 
This is a hard R. Like this, they they earn that rated R uh, moniker. I, I will say there are a couple scenes in here that I was thoroughly, thoroughly surprised by hmm. that they even went down the path. This is kind of, I mean, to compare it to other comedies is, is kind of a disservice, but you kind of have to do it. Uh, this is kind of The Hangover meets Bridesmaids. So it has like that raunchiness of The Hangover, but all of the the female cast of Bridesmaids into this raucous, raw comedy. <laughs> it distinguishes itself from those because of the issues that it addresses within the context of the movie pertaining particularly to the African-American experience. And that in and of itself was good to see. As I've said on multiple episodes, representation matters. So seeing movies like this come out, which like Barbershop and other ones where a large portion of people are not really going to see those, Andy. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was really good to see that. And this screening, with a lot of these screenings that Dr. Andy has been to and I have been to uh, countless of these, you generally have the same groups of people. You generally have the same demographic. Going to a screening with such a different demographic was awesome. It is a reminder that Seattle is not, uh, hmm, how should I phrase this, is not as homogenous as, as you think, or rather it still is, but it is good to see a lot of people of color at a screening like this. You mean it's a segregated city? Oh, you were the, I was like, you're the sociologist among us, so yeah, you, you could go into more of that. But so it was just really cool to see this movie about women of color and being empowered and being strong and being funny and being vulnerable and all of those things and being in a theater full of women of color was awesome. Like, it was, just, it was really good to see that because Seattle needs more of that. And there needs to be more films like this that at least have a chance to to do that. We saw a movie last year, uh, Keanu, which was Tiffany Haddish's kind of breakthrough movie role. Um, same type of thing. Like, it was good to, good to go to a screening that was not the same types of demographics that are at every other screening. So it was unique. Which brings up an interesting question. Um, were there many men in the audience? I mean, other ones who got painfully dragged along by their <laughs> partners. Uh, there were, but it was very disproportionately uh, women, mm. which makes sense. Go to the Hangover movie. Go to see Entourage the movie. 90% of the people there are going to be dudes. So that was just, it was really cool. It was a really nice experience and a different and unique experience than a lot of people have in Seattle. Uh, but to the movie itself, uh, this is hilarious. Like, this is one of those summer blockbusters where another local uh, Seattle film critic, Sarah, talks about how there's always a surprise summer comedy blockbuster. They tried it with Baywatch, failed. Tried it with Rough Night, failed. Tried it with Snatched, failed. Like, it is tough. This movie is the comedy, is the best comedy so far of 2017 for the summer season. Wow. Like, it it was hilarious. Um, and this, this is a weird statistic. This, is, this movie will be more profitable than any other movie of 2017. 
Guaranteed. They filmed this. Like, all said and told, the budget was around $19 million. Opening weekend, which is on Friday, it, it is already at $30 million as of Sunday. Hmm. This will make three times its budget. Easily. Which is amazing. <laughs> and hopefully that gets Malcolm Lee more recognition. Hopefully it gets mainly people like Tiffany Haddish more recognition. Because Queen Latifah, everybody knows who she, knows who she is. Regina Hall, most people know who she is. Jada Pinkett Smith, everybody knows who she is. So stars like Tiffany Haddish, it is amazing that she has this spotlight. Because a lot of the movie rides on her and her performance, and she nails it. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be hugely successful at the box office. Best adult comedy of the year to the rating system. Um, This is going to be hard to predict. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Uh, This movie is an absolute good. This is a movie that you can go to uh, for a summer comedy. And, yes... It is a drama. There are parts that are pretty cheesy and whatever because they still do not feel confident. And I say this no matter what director is doing it to just do a straight comedy. Like comedy from beginning to end. This has a bunch of uh, drama. What is the word you use? Uh, Trickle? Not trickle. Treacle? Um, (laughs) What is Where does like too sweet? Oh, yeah. Treacly sweet. Treacly sweet. See, I was close. Yeah. Uh, there's so it's not treacly sweet, or it is. There are parts of it are that mm. you know, it's like, yay, we came together. Those parts are a little bit cheesy, mm-hmm. but the rest of the movie is so funny that it makes up for it. And this did something all else that I have talked about with other comedies. It let those moments happen when there is something that they knew was going to be funny on screen. They let it develop, knowing the audience was going to be laughing a lot. And there was not joke, joke, setup, joke, joke, joke. So that was really good. So my official rating is good. <laughs> Go see this movie. It It is absolutely hilarious. So uh, now to our third movie. Uh, and this one is one that Dr. Andy did go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is... Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Thousand Planets. Uh, based off of uh, the French comic book. Uh, Valerian and Laureline, uh, which started in 1967. It ran all the way until 2010. Hmm. So I will go into a little bit of the comic book history because, weird, one of us is a comic book historian. It's not one me. Of us, one of us is not. Uh, so this French comic book, something that you can relate to, uh, Dr. Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is This comic book was very similar when it came out to a lot of other Belgian-French comic books asterix exactly things like asterix the smurfs which a lot of people do not know about rin tin 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 all of these no, it's not rin tin tin it was tin tin, tin, tin. It? sorry so because you know of all of those rin tin tin was a dog <laughs> he was <laughs> <laughs> uh a lot of people when they think of those belgian french imports those are the ones that come to mind for good reason they're incredibly popular this comic book the original comic book that came out in 1967 was in that same wave. Now ask me, why did it not uh, get as much recognition as the Smurfs or Tintin or Asterix? It wasn't translated? Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unlike the other ones, which throughout the years, either very early on in their run or later, they started getting translated into English and a bunch of other languages. 
Valerian and Loreline did not. Like for a now, long why time. Why was that then? It just it was. I'm not sure if it was a conscious choice, but it was just something that happened. I mean, maybe just, maybe they felt the market was saturated from DC and Marvel already. Uh, this is 1967, so I mean, this was this is <laughs> the start of Marvel. Okay, you know, so around <clears throat> then. So, but for that main reason, a lot of people outside of Europe, I will say, not just France, but Europe, did not really know about this specific comic book that came along in that same wave. So, with a lot of those exports. It helped when they had some sort of connection, whatever it was, whether it was a studio or in the with the Smurfs, it was an animation studio that it just kind of blew up from there. This one, it kind of just flew under the radar. Um, the creators of this were uh, Pierre Christin and Jean-Claude Mezier. Uh, boom. Nailed it in your I face. I was probably completely wrong, but uh, <laughs> carry on. Uh, but it was just it was part of this wave of comics coming out of that part of the world at the time that in France it was called like the genre of comic books is I think bon, bon dessiné. So this is huge in France. It was huge in Europe and nobody across the pond, as it were, really knew about it. So with this project going leading into the movie, Luc Besson, the director of Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, started reading this comic book at 10 years old and it has been a passion project forever so much so that the fifth element one of the greatest movies of my generation um the the main art designer for the fifth element try and take a guess who it was Luc Besson okay he was the director uh it was was a writer as well he could have done the design why not uh Jean-Claude Mezier he actually brought like he called him and he was like or called him who knows (laughs) emailed him faxed whatever (laughs) got a hold of him carrier (laughs) pigeon got a hold of him and it was like I grew up reading and loving Valerian and Laureline I'm doing this new film called Fifth Element I would love for you to be involved brought him on board so when you look at the fifth element you look and then look at some of the old panels of the comic book. It is very, very similar, which is awesome. In the back of Luc Besson's head, his entire life almost, starting at 10 years old, he has wanted to make this movie, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. It was a passion project. It absolutely was. And sometimes, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes passion projects, you get too close. Uh, like if a police officer is involved, is looking, is investigating an issue, a murder, and they happen to know the person, usually the, the sergeant or whatever is like, you need to step away. You're too close to this. So before we go into the review of the film, Mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there, that Mm -hmm. this is a passion project to the biggest degree for Luc Besson to finally make this movie that he has wanted to see. Since he was 10 years old. So. I'm I'm just nodding. (laughs) Nodding and smiling. With all of that disclaimer uh, to the side. The origins of the Valerian and Laureline comic book. uh, It started with Valerian. Who is a 28th century spatio. uh, Spatio temporal agent. uh, For the government essentially. And he ends up. You know, they basically, at this point in the comic book, or at this point in time in the comic book, 
they have access to all space and time. So hence, spatiotemporal agent. So he investigates things all over the place. He finds Laureline in the 11th century in England. And she ends up rescuing him in the forest. Uh, they go on adventures from there. Eventually, she becomes an agent. Andy, how did you think that played out in the movie? Uh, I, If you had asked me what their backstory was, I would have not come up with anything even remotely close to what you just said. Exactly. Because none of it was in the movie. <laughs> like, it, this movie starts with them just kind of in a... Or it actually does not start with that. By the time we see them, and by them I mean Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne, Delevingne uh, who play Laureline and Valerian, by the time we see them, like, zero backstory. Which I get, I understand, whatever. As the comic book purist in me, I'm like, that could have been a really cool thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they did not. The movie actually starts on a different planet. Uh, called uh, Mule that we learn about later. These people, I will say, on this planet, these alien creatures, I will say this from now until it becomes too tiring to hear, because I've told a lot of people about this movie. This is one of the most stunning visual movies I've ever seen. So the visuals were just breathtaking they they were absolutely stunning and it starts on this alien planet with alien creatures that and yes the comparison will be made to another film that starred i'm, I'm just about to mention um uh-huh. are you sure the planet was not called pandora yeah from a small film mm. called avatar mm-hmm. here is the problem avatar is in the history books for one of the most successful films ever made as far as box office tell me describe one scene in that movie um there's a scene where you have a bunch of the pandora navi i guess Mm -hmm. um all swaying in time (laughs) to thing and there's some flying things and Mm -hmm. um there's sam worth what what are you saying what are you exactly this movie with avatar is the most successful quote-unquote movie of all time Nobody can actually tell me what the movie is. Like, I have seen the movie more than once. And why it is not memorable to anybody is a big sign. Like, it was just, it was all pomp and circumstance and no story. Or rather, the story was just dumb. Uh, But the visuals were incredible. That was why so many people kept going to see it in the theaters. It looked great. Story was terrible. So, with this film... When it starts off and we see these alien creatures, that yes, that there could be some similarities. Uh, but the depth of design with the creatures was awesome. It was it's really been several years since Avatar was made. Yes, it has. And the technology has definitely progressed. And that was something that Luke Basson even admitted in some of the interviews. He was like, I have wanted to make this movie for decades. I had to wait for the technology to catch up to where it should be. Which, same with Avatar. James Cameron, I've talked about it before. He was like, hey guys, I want to make this movie. I need a camera that does this, this, this. <laughs> and they were like, uh, Mr. Cameron, uh, that, that doesn't exist. And he was like, cool. How much will it take to make a camera that does that? And they were like, X amount. And he was like, 
cool, here's a check, make a camera. Boom, red cameras. So <laughs> he had to create technology to make his film. This movie benefited from the technology that is already there. So we start start the movie on this alien planet. Uh, we get to know a few of the, the creatures and the aliens on this planet. And then it kind of jump cuts to our heroes, uh, Valerian and Laureline. And the story kind of Doesn't goes... Doesn't it start on Earth? No. Are you sure? Yeah. It starts on the planet. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well... Oh! Technically... Oh! <laughs> yeah. Technically, oh, it does oh, not start on Earth. It starts in Earth orbit. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, all <laughs> right. You, all right. Thank you. So, it starts in Earth orbit, where it shows the beginning of, like, the ISIS space station and various... ISIS? The, uh, the International Space Station. Okay. ISS, right. ISS. Sorry. Not ISS. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what, ISIS are in space? Oh, my God. It's gotten worse and worse. Do not say that. Now Trump will get all scared if he listens to this. Like, ISIS in space. They're, they're on the space station. No, um, anyway, so the International Space <laughs> Station uh, is starting you know, to get built. Uh, and various countries are, are meeting each other. Uh, and then it kind of jump cuts decades uh, one jump was even like a hundred years to other alien uh, races coming to this space station, adding to the space station. Um, and they realized in Earth orbit, it is not going to work or they will plummet to the Earth. So they move this space station. That actually is a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because I had it later in my notes. But one of my favorite scenes in this film are the introductory alien scenes mm -hmm. that we see in this kind of corridor of, of the space station. You see various people and various races coming to meet each other for the first time, just like anytime you watch the International Space Station now, when a Russian module docks or in a U.S. module docks or a Chinese module docks, and they have the scene of them floating together and shaking hands, that scene is replicated in this movie a bunch of times with a bunch of different aliens and that was amazing. I loved that. You're giving me a look like you did not love that. No, I'm just waiting <laughs> you to f f to finish and then oh. I'll, I'll talk. You okay. just carry on. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the reasons that I love that is, as you already know, I love creature design. I, I love makeup effects. I love practical effects. Uh, last episode, we had Trip Hope and Sante Sharma on the episode to talk about their film, which has a big creature in it. I love that. And so seeing this blend of practical effects and visual effects was just mind-blowing. I was, I was super, super impressed with what they were able to do. And you could tell. Like, you could tell in the physical spaces that not only was this a lot of visual effects, they built these things. They built a lot of these aliens. They did a lot of that. Huge, huge kudos for that. Go ahead, Dr. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you may, you may uh, say something. That's very kind of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I <laughs> I don't know where to begin with <laughs> Valerian and the blah 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 blah. Um, this was definitely classic uh, Besson, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in a good way. <sighs> I, I think I might have mentioned in in the prior episode that I'm not a big fan of of Luc Besson, and I did not really. The femme Nikita, the professional, no, I know. Fifth Element, no. 
No, I didn't like really like any of them. I mean, I I, I tried to like the professional quite mm-hmm. a bit, but it yeah. And and Valerian, um, like all other Besson movies, was uh, a, an incredible uh, victory of style over substance, for one thing. Okay. <laughs> um, the 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 schmaltzy, hokey cheesiness that was evident in the Fifth Element was a very much present here mm-hmm. in Valerian. Parts of it, his cast have people who I am a gigantic fan of Clive Owen. I mm-hmm. love almost everything of what Clive Owen has have done. Have you seen Olympus Has Fallen? I have. Have you seen London Has Fallen? Uh, 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 um... <laughs> Clive Owen makes terrible life choices when it comes to movies. He's made some brilliant movies. Um, this Children of Men is the only brilliant movie I would say of his. He... Croupier? Never saw it. Well, you, there's no trust me he's got tons of really he's got an amazing movie this okay. was not a good clive owen movie totally this agree. was not a good ethan Hawke movie totally agree uh and the two main characters the people who played valerian and laureline um were i don't know what they're like in real life but in this movie they were completely lacking a any charisma whatsoever mm-hmm. and b any chemistry because there is kind of uh, not much of a spoiler there's a little bit of relationship kind of she going on in this movie between the two of them mm-hmm. um which uh, i mean i mean sort of you can tell from the words that are coming from uh, dane dehan's mouth um uh, but at the same time, it is not evident in any shape or form from um, sort of like their acting. And I, again, I don't know if this is uh, Luc Besson's style or whether the, uh, I haven't seen um, Dane DeHaan in anything else, I don't think. But oh, my gosh, it was like watching two wooden puppets uh, <laughs> trying to pretend to, you know, sort of like uh, fight in, in, a, in that in that way that people do mm-hmm. when they kind of love each other kind of sort of. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I I like Sam Sproul as well, um, who was <laughs> interestingly named General Octobar. 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 <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And here's, here's a, a little fun fact. Um, you know him. You grew up with him. I, no, I don't. But he was, I've, I've liked him in a couple of different things. Uh, he was Jack Hack McVitie in Legend. And oh, yeah. he was uh, in a movie which maybe nobody saw called Starred Up, which uh, starred, uh, it was a, a prison movie um, starring Jack O'Connell, who was also the star of a movie called 71, in which uh, one of the fairly unknowns from Dunkirk was in, uh, Barry Keegan, who was the uh, one of the kids on the uh, civilian boat. So there's a little bit of uh, Kevin at- Bacon <laughs> thing going on there. Okay, um, the look so, I gave Dr. Andy right now was the same look he gives me every time I go on a comic book tangent. It's mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, just like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. sure, uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, anyway, Jack O'Connell. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do like Jack O'Connell stuff, but he wasn't in this movie. And he Mm-mm. probably should have been in this movie, and maybe he should have been Valerian, because he would have been, I don't know, uh, geometrically better than Dane DeHaan <laughs> was. Um, that, I'm putting that on Twitter. Uh <laughs> that he would have been that any okay say his name again joe jack, uh, jack o'connell jack o'connell 
would be geometrically better than Dane Dodd. Yeah. I'm okay. sorry, Dane. I'm sure you're a really nice guy, and, and, and I'm sure you've done some great work <laughs> in other films, but this was not evident in Valerian and the blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you see where my where I'm going with this? Yes. John? And unfortunately, okay. Sam Spruill, who I also really like, uh, he is a strong actor. He is the only one in this movie that is believable. He is in a completely different movie. He, I, I seriously feel like he is in a World War II movie mm-hmm. with how serious he is playing his role, yep. his dedication, his valor. Everything about him is like, what movie are you in? Like, what script did you read and how seriously you took that role? It was just, it was a weird choice based on every other interaction around him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that, that Sam Sproul, I mean, great actor. It was just weird to see him in this role. And his reveal, I will say, when Valerian and Laureline get called back to uh, the major, I mean, I guess city, you could call it, that is this giant thing of a thousand planets imagine mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they're talking to him and his back is turned and you are kind of waiting for this big reveal of some like really famous british actor or something and he turns around it's Sam Sproul, and yeah, he <laughs> knows who he is exactly and like you know andy and i we know who he is we like him some stuff but it was just like why have such a dramatic turn <laughs> and reveal when it was not somebody like they could have had rutger Hauer do that maybe oh christopher walken we haven't seen Christopher Walken in anything for a long time. He should have been uh, General Octobar. Uh, Rutger <laughs> Hauer would have been a better choice because at least people visually would be like, oh, Rutger Hauer. Mm. It would just, that was kind of a also weird... Also, Rutger Hauer's in, uh, right at the beginning of the movie. Yes, for like two seconds. Two seconds. Same with another weird choice that I like to see. Uh, the defense minister, I think, mm-hmm. is Herbie Hancock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when it, the first time... I actually... I've seen this movie twice now. I saw it at the advanced press screening like two weeks before it came out. And then I saw it again with Andy last week. The first time he showed up on screen, I, was, I went to like talk to somebody next to me. And nobody was next to me because it was at a press screening. There were like 20 of us in the theater. And I was like, hey, oh, oh, Herbie Hancock, nobody. So that was. <laughs> I can't believe you went to see this twice. Uh, I, I did it. For you. Thank you. And for right. this podcast. I appreciate that. I'm looking um, forward to see what your uh, grade yeah. is too. But it was just, it was cool to see Herbie Hancock in this. Ethan Hawke is also in this for like five minutes. Um, and I'm not sure why. Of all the movies to cast some unknowns, make it this movie. Like when you have people like Clive Owen in this film, who is recognizable and his character is just... At 11 the whole time with everything he does and just over the top. Why Ethan Hawke was in this? Not sure. Well, I think he was, I mean, sort of they needed to throw in someone like uh, the Chris Tucker character from Fifth Element. Now, I know it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly the uh, an analog of the Chris Tucker, but I mean, sort of he was probably the closest. Yeah, and I could see that. I think, I think the actor who could have done that a little bit better who could have been over the top and it would have worked would be johnny knoxville from jackass hmm. i think he could have done this i mean he that was in, been a good choice, he was in yeah. men in black two or three i forget which one like he is funny he is over the top it would have worked a lot better than ethan hawk 
who you could tell was trying to be over the top the entire time. So, and his character leads into the musical number, which Luc Besson also really loves to do. Oh, he loves it. One of my, I would put this in my top five. Oh, this is going to be weird. Top five, five minute of film. <laughs> Wait, top five. Yes, top five, five minutes of film. Is the scene in Fifth Element with the opera singer. I hated that. I Every love single that moment scene. of it. Love that scene. Terrible. Uh, there's a behind this, as you can tell, I like behind the scenes things. Uh, there's a behind the scenes featurette that was on one of the special edition uh, DVDs of Fifth Element where it shows the actual uh, woman who is in the costume doing all of that. And it was just, it was incredible. I love that, that five minutes. So cheesy. The performance in this movie is by Rihanna, which Rihanna, my girl, cannot act cannot act to save her life um in her career in rihanna's career she has learned how to dance a little bit because you have choreographers all around you if you look at her old videos like i'm talking about music of the sun like from her first album like she will dance in the video and then it will immediately cut to somebody else who's a better dancer and then cut back to her as if we forget like wait it was not the same person come on but she has learned to be a better dancer because you surround yourself with choreographers. She either needs to surround herself with acting coaches or stop taking movies. She was awful and just not believable in the slightest. I thought she was okay on stage, but once uh, she got off stage, I thought... Well, yeah, I mean, because on stage, she is doing a performance, which is what she does. She is a performer. She is not an actress. And it is incredibly <laughs> evident in this film, which says something considering, as Andy already mentioned, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne are marionettes. They have, not only do they have zero chemistry, he is pretty much sexually harassing her and borderline sexually assaulting her through a lot of this movie. And it was super uncomfortable. And it was like, Wait, this is his way of getting a girl? Like it's kind of like a, a schoolboy, you know, like the one who punches the girl. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, oh, that means I he really likes like me. It. Yeah. It was just so their chemistry completely and one hundred percent unbelievable. They have no chemistry. I did not believe at any point in this film that they actually cared about each other as people, let alone as lovers yeah. i guess um the one scene actually not the one scene there are many many scenes in this that i thought were brilliant one of the major technological scenes that i think a lot of viewers viewers a lot of listeners to this podcast are going to appreciate especially people like the camera over there. Uh, <laughs> especially people like tim cullings who runs the seattle indies expo who is a good friend of this podcast and a good friend of mine he is really entrenched in the video game community in Seattle. There is a virtual reality slash augmented reality, which are two different things that I have learned while covering video games in Seattle. There is a video virtual reality and augmented reality scene in this that is phenomenal. That is just so well done that makes you, any of us who have done virtual reality, 
I mean, this is where it could go in the future, and I'm all about it. Basically, to not give it away, uh, characters put on glasses and walk into a desert. But as soon as they pass a threshold, the world is there. Because it is augmented reality, they kind of go into some weird things where it's like, oh, you have to do this trans-dimensional spanner that does this. Who cares? But the virtual reality, augmented reality portion of it w- was just incredible. I did like that. So and it was, it, yeah. it was well done. Uh, and John Goodman was the voice of one of the aliens, uh, the really big fat alien. I didn't know that. That was John Goodman. Yeah. As I heard it, I was like, that sounds real familiar. Mm-hmm. Second time I saw it, for you, the listeners, and for Andy, I was like, got it, John Goodman. Yeah. No, I mean the the some of the CGI was 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 great. Um, some of the space war scenes were were good. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I did like the uh, as you say the augmented reality market mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, because that is something that is not only just past where we are now. That we could have that in a few years. Like people on like, a different planet. Not even necessarily that, but like when okay. people think of like the holodeck from Star Trek. And how it does not really make sense, especially when you think of this spatial time. Anyway, but when you think of augmented reality and virtual reality, what we see in this movie, I could see happening very shortly. As opposed to a holodeck, which I've wanted since I was 10 years old. Mm. Um, Speaking of box office, like we talked about with Girls Trip, take a guess, Andy, of how much this movie costs to make since we were talking about the graphics. $400 million. Uh, No. That would be insane. Okay. I have no idea. Tell me. 200 and something million dollars. That wasn't that far off. Come on. No. Um, <clears throat> opening weekend, how much do you think this has made? 63 bucks. 17 million. Oof. Oh, dear. This is going to be rough. <laughs> it's going to be really rough. Um, I fear for the studio that made this one. Well, Europa Corp is dealing with their own issues that actually ties into something else i wanted to talk about did this uh, cause brexit no, <laughs> no. the the chinese market is the second largest film market as far as what they consume and compared to bollywood which produces a lot more the chinese market when it comes to box office dollars is insane it is so incredibly profitable but the difference is and you see a lot of these movies nowadays where they're like oh pacific rim did all right here but it was huge in china transformers tanked here it did huge in china there's a reason for that when it comes to the chinese marketplace movie marketplace they only allow in 34 movies a year Hmm. unless and this is incredibly smart of hollywood and in this case europa corp Unless you have a Chinese investor or and or a Chinese star in your film. You can bypass that 34 films that the Chinese film industry allows by doing those two things. This did that. Did you notice in some of the early scenes that there was uh, Chinese flags quite prominent oh, yeah. amongst the spaceships? Yeah. More than, more than once <laughs> in this futuristic movie not only do you see chinese astronauts in like the third act of this film for no reason like zero reason they walk by this quote-unquote abandoned part of the station 
and they purposely like dust off a part of the ship and the Chinese flag is there. Mm. So there is that and one of the actors who is on on the bridge of the crew, uh, the actor's name is Chris Wu, who is a Canadian Chinese actor who has done dozens of Chinese films that are huge. He was in the new Triple X movie, doing absolutely nothing. He was a DJ in the movie. Uh, yeah, he is an actor. He is a, a DJ in real life. Like He is a big star in China. So, EuropaCorp, who knew that they were going to have about a $200 million movie, they're like, uh, so, uh, China, uh, we need a little bit of help. What can we do? And they're like, cool. Here's a check. Put our name in front of the movie. Put our flag in the movie. Put one of our actors in the movie. Sure. And here's your check. That is the industry. So if you want to make a movie that is going to cost a bunch of money and you want some help, that is how you can bypass that 34 film limit. Um, uh, let me see what else we have. I think that was, I mean, that was mainly it. This was one of the most visually stunning movies I have seen in years. Better than Avatar, I would say, because of the different creatures that you see in this. Avatar, you saw the stupid cat people, and you saw the dragons. They're also dumb because they form a lifelong bond, but he goes after this mythical dragon, forms a bond with it. What happens to the dragon? Yeah, died of depression. Mm. Anyway, very sad. I do not like Avatar for a lot of reasons. Anyway, but this movie, visually stunning. The script was one of the worst scripts that I have heard in a very, very long time. It seemed like it had been written by someone who didn't speak English. Oh, Mm. wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it it felt like the first two thirds were were schmaltzy and ridiculous, but it kind of made sense. The third act of this film goes off the rails to the point where one of the characters, I will not say who, one of the characters blatantly disregards a direct order from a superior and may or may not have assaulted that direct superior. Two minutes later, another character says, hey, can we do this thing that goes against the rules? To which that other character says, I can't do that. It goes against the rules. And it was like, what? What? Two minutes before, you were punching a superior officer but now, context. it's all about the context. The script is trash. Absolute trash. I think that, <laughs> I think that is all I have to say about this movie. Um, Dr. Andy, how about you, how about you rate mm-hmm. Valerian mm-hmm. and the City of a Thousand Planets first? Um, <clears throat> did you notice um, when we were talking about, this is a really long time ago, when we were talking about Dunkirk, um, right. I said that that probably we'd never see another ugly movie rating oh, no. uh, on the uh, About to Review podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to break that rule. Granted, it has been broken a few times recently, but yep. go yep. ahead. Yeah, uh, I I struggled. <laughs> I struggled a little bit with this, but I mean, yeah, no. As I said, this was classic Besson, meaning it was it was really bad. Um, wow. which I mean, and that's not in the about to review sense of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was it, like, so, oh, it was all right then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah, visually very pretty. I did like some of the, the, the scenes, but the acting was terrible. The, the, the screenplay was terrible. Um, the story was nonsense. 
Um, Tell me how you really feel, Andy. Uh, what I really feel is I, I don't feel bad about giving it an ugly. Wow. Officially an ugly. Officially, officially yeah. it's not as bad as some of the uglies i've 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 definitely had to review for this but uh, yeah i can't in all good faith give it a a bad okay i struggle i i I struggle with this film talk to your psychotherapist Uh, give us your review (laughs) i saw this twice I, i i cannot in good faith give this an ugly only on (laughs) only on the basis that it was visually stunning i i have knowing very 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 vaguely how much work goes into the creature effects and the visual effect of a movie like this matter honestly the design your your score (laughs) the design that went behind it the passion that went into this i i would have a hard time giving it ugly that said this is the lowest tier bad that I can give this without going into ugly. If it were ugly, I would not have seen it twice. I saw it twice because there was enough in it. And by enough, I mean maybe 20 minutes of this film, of this two-hour movie, that was that was visually amazing. Um, there were three creatures that actually came from the comics they were called the shingos uh shingus in the comic but they have a different name in the movie like the stuff they did with them it was yeah i'm not going to say that this was a great movie by any stretch of the imagination if you want to see an absolutely visual visually stunning movie with a terrible script go see this movie mm. but this is the lowest tier bad I could give it without going into ugly. Shaking my head. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, to, to wrap up Valerian, I will be putting some pictures on social media. Um, at the press screening, we were able to get some preview kind of comic book magazines uh, that I have, I have a couple extra of. So, I will put those online and do some sort of raffle or auction. Not auction. I'm going to give them away. I'm not going to sell these. Uh, some sort of some sort of raffle. So if you want a copy of this preview edition, it has actually the basis for the movie, which co- was a I think in the 1970s, 1975 comic book, Ambassador of Shadows, uh, part of Laureline of Valerian um, comic book. It has reproductions of that in it, so you can get the art style. You can see where some of these characters came from 40 years ago. So I will put that up on social media. And if you're interested in reading some of this original uh, work that it was based off of, hit me up. Let me know. Since uh, in the past probably year or so, year or two, you can get most of the original comic book run in English. So I recommend the comic book. It was a really interesting comic book. I had the chance to read a bit of it a while ago um, that had been translated. Cool stuff. Like the storyline is still pretty basic. The art style is really unique. It it has that Belgian Franco um, style of <laughs> Tintin and and Asterix, which is very different, especially from comic books that were coming out in America in the 60s. So I'll put that up on social media. But the official rating for Valerian, Andy gave it an ugly. I gave it a, a very, very, very low bad. So uh, that wraps it up for the films on this episode. Uh, 
the other thing that I wanted to mention before we uh, before we exit this is there is a really awesome film festival coming up uh, August 8th here in Seattle that is the Seattle version or Seattle leg of the 48-hour film project. It is something Andy and I have talked about before. We have covered it before. I covered Film of Palooza. This film festival is awesome. The fact that you are given a theme, a prop, and a line of dialogue, and you have 48 hours to write, direct, shoot, edit, and submit a film in 48 hours has led to some incredible pieces of film that Andy and I have watched over the years. So the best of screening is going to be August 8th. Uh, And I meant to announce this last time, but the About to Be podcast is sponsoring this film festival, the Seattle 48 Hour Film Project. I could not be happier to support this film festival. I really believe in independent artists doing what they want to do, which is why I started this podcast. Um, So keep making film, keep being unique, keep being different, have passion for what it is you do. Keep in mind that passion, Luc Besson, uh, (laughs) that sometimes you got to rein it in a little bit and have somebody editing what you do. So yeah, so that will be the 48-hour film project, August 8th. Um, We will definitely be doing an episode about that uh, down the road. And also, uh, for next week's episode, there are a couple other movies coming out, uh, Atomic Blonde and Detroit, that I will be covering. As of right now, my guest for that episode is going to be uh, an awesome person uh, who Andy's met a couple times, uh, Mike Ward, who is the president of the Seattle Film Critics Society and a really good friend. So look forward to that next week. And there might be, I'm working on this, there might be a very, very special interview episode that I might be dropping on Friday. It, it is going to be weird. Normally the episodes drop on Wednesday. If I can line up this interview that I am really looking forward to, we're trying to work out some scheduling things. I cannot say who it is yet. Um, but yeah, that might be on Friday, a very special edition of the About to Read podcast interview uh, episode. Is it Hitchcock? Uh, no, he's that, dead. <laughs> I was like, that would be real impressive. Uh, let me talk to a necromancer <laughs> real quick. I need to go grab a cleric. I need to go. Well, clerics technically only have to speak to the dead. They can summon that with a fifth level spell. Anyway. Um, so for this episode, we talked about Dunkirk, which Andy and I both gave a very enthusiastic good. Um, and yeah, just Andy really liked it because, I mean, it was a story that had not really been told before. Um, right? That was there was a film it. with John Mills in it. From 1958. Oh, yeah. You saw that one in the theaters. Um, Anyway, uh, then we saw Girls Trip. Or not we. I saw Girls Trip. I give it a good. It is the comedy of the summer. It might be the best comedy of 2017. It is only July, so we will see what comes out. But for sure, 100%, it is the best comedy of the summer. And you saw Valerian, City of a Thousand Planets. (laughs) Andy gave it an ugly. Uh, I gave it a a bad. yeah, it was it was it was real rough, but real pretty. It is like when you say somebody has a great personality. Coming up in a couple of weeks, it will be the first episode of the new month, which means I will be reading the new reviews on the episode. So if you go on iTunes or Stitcher, leave a five star review. I will read it on the air. If you have any social media handles that you want to drop in that uh, review, those will be read aloud as well. 
So I encourage people to go and check that out. And again, follow it on social media at About to Review on all social media channels. So for this episode, I have been that guy named John. And I have been Dr. Andy. And we will see you next time. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter at Vexing Media.